Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Nolan Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going? It's going all right. How are you today? I'm trying to stay warm in Georgia, which is a ridiculous thing to say, but it's true. <laughs> I, I mean, I hear there's a snowmageddon right on the on the East Coast. Is that what's going on right now? Yeah. Well, I mean, DC is getting hit pretty hard, from what I understand. But I'm thank thankfully nowhere near DC. So, okay. Yeah, geography. It's just DC located. Well, I do know that I, I I've heard of this storm. We've not had one of these. Uh, in Chicago this winter, we did have a couple days of very cold, com- at least compared to what it's been. Um, so that was fun, but we, we've been spared so far. So I'm I'm knocking on wooden things because I'm very sure. excited about like I've moved listeners who don't know I've moved to downtown Chicago from the suburbs, and so now I have to commute more than uh, an hour each way every day. So I've been very excited that we haven't had a lot of snow yet this winter, uh, at least in Chicagoland. Um, this week on the DVD shelf, the DVD shelf is back, but due to scheduling, unfortunately, Noel, you're not able to join us. Um, yeah. I will be talking with our, our friend of the show, Les Chapel of the AV Club about Strike Back. It's going to be so much fun. Um, and have you seen any Strike Back? Not, not a single second. Okay. Is it it's yeah. it, explosions and soldiers and really pretty cinematography and shots of places? Is that in your wheelhouse? I, 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 I it might be. Um, <laughs> really macho dudes punching each other is not always my thing. So yeah, yeah. And there's we'll we'll get into it. We get into yeah. it, guys, on the DVD shelf. There's elements of the show that I really don't like, and then there's many that I really do. So I'm a bit. Of two minds about Strike Back, but that's coming at the end of the show. Um, up here at the top, there are a few things we wanted to talk about, but we wanted to kick things off with some listener feedback because we always love hearing from you guys. Um, Carl wrote us a couple weeks ago to say his things that he was most excited for um, Gallivant, uh, American Crime, Angie Tribeca, Agent Carter, The 100, Baskets, X Files, Yumi and the Apocalypse, Animals, Better Call Saul, and Underground. Like half of these shows started this week or right. will be starting. Uh, this upcoming weekend and i gotta say of the ones i've seen he has excellent taste he does he does i mean we know this about carl anyways but i I think these shows have delivered in their current and uh, upcoming season so uh yeah good good call carl i I hope you're enjoying these are you looking forward to you me and the apocalypse or or animals the duplass brothers that's the hbo duplass brothers uh animated comedy that you aren't gonna watch because it's on hbo but right any Um... thoughts on these no, um, I mean, maybe I'll try You, Me, and the Apocalypse, mm-hmm. um, but uh, animals um, probably won't ever see, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair, fair enough. Um, Carl says uh, one that we did mention in our preview was Shit's Creek. Uh, he really loves season one. He's looking forward to season two. I watched one or two of the first season, and it didn't stick in my memory particularly, but I know it really did speak to some people. Did you watch Shit's Creek? No, um, that's on like Pop, right, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I don't think I get that channel in my package. I'd have to look, but I'm almost positive I don't get it. I want to say that's a Canadian import, but I could be wrong about that. Don't no. quote me. It, it for me, I, I think I watched it around the same time that I watched. Uh, there were those two other 
uh, like Welcome to Sweden, and there was another one. It happened at the same time on NBC. I think I watched Schitt's Creek around the same time as those, so they all kind of meld in my brain. Um, but I'm glad you liked it, and I'm glad you're excited for the upcoming season, Carl. Um, he also wanted to advocate for Vikings uh, because <laughs> Carl says, once you get into it, you will want to name all of your kids L- Lagartha or Floki as appropriate. Did I say those names right? Do you know? I have no idea. Just like just like we were saying with Strike Back, macho guys doing things. <laughs> and this time with broadswords. And ladies, <laughs> badass ladies as well. Uh, okay. I've seen enough of Vikings to know that blonde Viking uh, with the braids, female blonde Viking with the braids is a badass. <laughs> that's, that's all. I don't know her name. I think that's Lagartha maybe. I don't know. But I really liked her. So I bet mm-hmm. if I watched more, I would enjoy her as well. We also heard from Daniel, who wrote in. Um, so thank you for writing in, Daniel. Every it's great to hear from uh, from from people who've been listening for a while but haven't necessarily reached out. Daniel wanted to reach out about specifically some DVD shelf recommendations. One is called Up the Women, which is a half hour comedy from 2013 and it ended last year on BBC. And uh, this is a just a sitcom, but set in the 1910s about the women's suffrage movement. So that's like there it's a, it's a, it's a knitting circle who yeah. who get entangled in things and that sounds delightful. Yeah, no that sounds totally up my alley. Totally the opposite of Vikings and Strike Back. <laughs> I'm there for that. <laughs> and he also recommends The Crimson Field which is an hour long drama that I think I can't I think it's just one season but it might be the way that he has listed here I can't tell if it had two seasons or just aired in two different years on the BBC. No, it aired in two different years. He had PBS oh, okay. in 2015 and BBC in the 2014. Okay, so this is a six-episode series then um, with Rebecca Hall, uh, who love her, loved her so much in Parade's yeah. End, um, and it's it's in the 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 trenches uh, of the Western Front in World War. Oh, I did hear of this. I didn't watch any of it the last year. I meant to. Yeah, yeah. So I have not. I I, I also remember this kind of making a just a blip on the the. Yeah. the at least our circle on Twitter, but I, I have not, um, I have not heard it. Actually, I don't think I know anyone who did actually watch it. We just kind of all talked about how we hadn't seen it. Um, yeah. So I'm glad that you liked it, Daniel, and I will keep that on my radar. Um, and yes, Daniel, he says here, I'm so happy I bit the bullet and committed to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend a month ago as per Televerse recommendation. Face your fears. Excellent advice. Uh, I'm not afraid of either of these two shows, and I'm particularly intrigued by Up the Women. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, thank you for writing in with these and I will, when I get some time, I will at least be checking out a couple episodes of both because these sound, uh, at least, especially up the woman sounds fantastic yeah. right up my alley. So, um, if you have thoughts, listeners on upcoming DVD shows you'd like to see, um, or, or shows that we are, that are not on our radar, like in so many of these, um, but that should be. Drop us a line to televerse at gmail.com. Uh, we always love hearing from you or reach out on Twitter. All the other myriad ways that you can reach us. There are so many of them. But with no further ado, and meaning I'm not even going to – we were going to talk about the whole Stephen Moffat leaving Doctor Who thing. I feel like everyone listening already knows how I feel about this. Uh, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on this? Um, maybe it will be enough to make me watch Doctor Who again. Ooh, intriguing. Yeah, do intriguing. You think, do you think they'll yeah. keep the Doctor or have a regeneration? Do you th- – 
Okay, do they have regenerations left, or do they do a thing where he, like, gets, like, as many regenerations as he want because late-stage capitalism in BBC? <laughs> um, they, he got a new set of regenerations with this current one, so he has a new set of 13 before they have to worry oh, about well, it again. Oh, well, isn't that handy? It's very convenient. <laughs> they might. I guess it depends on um, what Capaldi feels like, if he feels like doing it again. Mm-hmm. And if... Chris Tridmill, who's the new showrunner, who's going to follow Moffat in the, after season. Season 10 is going to air in 2017. The next season will be Tridmill's first season um, as showrunner. Well, you know, I'm sure he doesn't even necessarily know what he wants to do yet. So um, Yeah, no. I can't imagine having a plan, like, four years in advance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, once we know more and there's things to talk about. But for now, let's get started on a full week in TV. All of the shows are back. No, like just like the CW came back and now I went from relaxed and not even all the CW's back. Just like enough. Like yeah, all enough the CW that I watch that isn't Jane or Crazy Girlfriend. Right, Monday's not back yet. Monday's not back yet. Um, Well, we've got a full week in TV, so we're going to kick things off with the comedies, and we'll listen here to the Angie Tribeca theme song, because we will be talking a lot of Angie Tribeca, uh, and we'll be right back after this. This week in comedy, Noel is going to kick things off with Blackish, Keeping Up with the Johnsons, and Adventure Time Scamps. That's right, listeners. It's such a crazy week. I, I I look forward to watching Adventure Time like as soon as we finish recording, but I have not seen it yet. Um, then I'm going to talk a little bit about Idiot Sitter, Man Seeking Woman, and Younger, and then we're both going to dive in with Andrew Tribeca Season 1. Uh, so, Noel, what did you think of this week's Blackish? Uh, I thought it was really, really funny. Um, Blackish, as we were like talking a little bit, has really come into its own this season. Um, and this episode was just particularly funny in that it sort of acknowledged that the Johnsons have this really luxurious lifestyle. And they realize that they actually can't afford to pay for a lot of it anymore. And that they have to like start tightening their belts. So, I mean, you explore the dynamics of Dre viewing this as a way to make up for his poor childhood and Bo just having grown up how she grew up never ever wanted to talk about money in fact they made an arrangement where Bo handles the kids Dre handles the money and that's how everything works except for the fact that Dre buys designer sneakers that he overnights from Japan (laughs) and Bo buys like organic shampoo with avocado and that kind of stuff in it and so they deal with having to like tighten their but tighten belts and explore how they can do that. And it's just a really interesting exploration of how that they're very very well off, but they don't understand how to manage their money really well. And so there was just a lot of humor mind from it and then like within the B plot, the kids overhear that things are maybe taking a turn for the worse financially. So Junior and Jack decide to team up and do in, do day trading. <laughs> <laughs> and so they just end up following Zoe around because Zoe's so cool and cutting edge that they can buy the stocks that of the companies that she's into. So they actually start doing really well until she finds out what they're doing and she wants a cut and they refuse. So she starts like using a rotary phone and <laughs> 
call, calling to find clothes from, like, Ross, basically. Mm-hmm. And just all this really fun stuff. And they end up losing their shirts, of course. And they literally show up in the next scene without shirts on. Because they have lost their shirts. <laughs> but it was, re- it was a really, really funny episode. And it kind of acknowledged one of the underlying currents of the show is that they're really, really well off. And it, which is something that weaves in and out of the show. But this was like really front and center this week, which I, I really enjoyed. Yeah, I always appreciate when these family sitcoms uh, on TV right now, which and for quite a long time, with the exception of the middle and like right. maybe the Goldbergs, like everybody's really rich on these yeah. shows, like obscenely wealthy. And it just never comes up in conversation because apparently they don't think of themselves as that right uh, modern family being the prime example oh, of this prime example yeah just everybody has giant houses and like as many cars as the plot requires and etc so so i appreciate the show having that awareness and doing an episode you know around around and i imagine that we also get into a bit of the kids privilege i would assume not so much like they're off doing their own little thing though okay. they realize that they can't really afford to uh send um the twins off to college now (laughs) and then they were but then they're both just like well josh was never gonna go to college anyway and they're just like yeah he wasn't (laughs) (laughs) oh ouch i look forward to catching up with this episode especially hearing your description of it so that's that's cool i like that i like again the blackfish is always great when i watch it after our 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 adventure time bomb last week how was scamps like on the scale of the various episodes last week where would you put scamps um, probably about on par with Angel Face. Um, okay. It's a cute little episode that deals with the Marshmallow Boy gang. Mm-hmm. So, and they've been, like, causing havoc in the post-One uh, tr- True King of Ooh Candy Kingdom. Because it's still, like, run down and dilapidated. They've been causing, like, running scams on people. Like, doing, like, where's the pee with clamshell type stuff. Mm-hmm. And so Finn and Jake, under PB's um, orders, were going to break up the gang. And then Finn decides to, like, take them camping, basically, to show them how the world works and that sort of thing. So it's just really, really funny because he has to explain camping by claiming that you're scamming nature. Oh, that's how to get them on board. To get them on board and to, like, kind of reform and rehabilitate them. And so it's just a really cute situation where Finn actually gets into a life-threatening situation. Well, life-threatening for Adventure Time. And they have to figure out how to scam a vine into being a rope. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, so it's a really cute, sweet little episode. And I just thought it was really funny. And my favorite bit was that the the Marshmallow Boys all talk like they come from West Side Story. So they have like this 1950s, late late 1940s, early 1950s, like accent, old Hollywood accent and like vernacular to them. So it's just really, really funny. That sounds delightful. Yeah, it was it was very, very delightful. Excellent. Well, I look forward to catching up with that one. Like I said earlier, like right after we finish recording. Very excited. (laughs) That and I'm just going to watch Bad Jubies again, just because why wouldn't you? Um, The the ones I wanted to mention this week uh, for comedy. First of all, last week I wanted to mention and forgot to mention Idiot Sitter. I watched the the premiere or the pilot of that one and was very pleasantly surprised because in all the talk of the show – and the descriptions, no one had told me it centered on two women, which is way more interesting to me 
as as an underachieving uh, kind of mess of a person who needs a babysitter, but an idiot sitter because she's an adult. Uh, and, you know, the person who's in charge of, of making sure she doesn't, like, kill herself. Uh, these, these being women is way more interesting than these being men to me. Because I've yeah. seen this version of the show where they're men. Um, so I actually wound up surprisingly charmed by the premiere of this. I do not know how much more I will watch. Um, but thumbs up, Comedy Central, uh, for taking a premise that sounded very uninteresting to me and actually getting me on board in the first, like, 20 minutes it helps when you have ray wise there being great as as the 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 rich father of the the protagonist one of the protagonists who is hiring the idiot sitter um that certainly is never gonna hurt but um but yeah i I actually really enjoyed the premiere not enough to carve out time in this particularly full week in tv but enough that i will probably check back in later in the season so i wanted to give a little praise to idiot sitter man seeking woman had scythe which was another fun episode you can read my review over at the av club for that one and uh this is all about uh um josh is out on the dating scene and get re- gets run into by the Grim Reaper who has come for his hair. He has three years left, he finds out, before he goes bald. Um, and so the, the Grim Reaper will just be showing up every now and again and just shaving, like, a tiny end off of his hair. Uh, and so then he decides he needs to settle. His expectations are too high. So he settles for a 1998 Saturn. <laughs> and oh. then... That's that's a stick shift too, probably. Yeah, it, it's yeah. uh yeah. So it, it then the, then we see him introducing his his girlfriend, the nineteen ninety eight Saturn, to his friend, uh, you know, to Mike and to Liz and to his parents, and you know they have there's a whole bunch lot of conversation about that, and yeah, Mike does have to know what that actually means for their sex life. So yes, that does get discussed and shown. Uh, before um, we end things with uh, the, the the Saturn cheats on him, so uh, that lowers. So then, after you know he was going to propose, uh, and he had a giant ring for for the Saturn, and finds the Saturn in the middle of a four way, and so um, <laughs> that that that's lowered his um, self esteem so low that rejection no longer affects him. It can't be hurt anymore. So he just will go up to anyone, which makes him a loose cannon cop who doesn't play by the rules. Uh, okay. It, which leads to the last segment. And so it, it was a really fun, fun episode. The 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 ta- opening tag, surprisingly, which was Josh as a TED Talk giver, as an expert on masturbation, uh, is surprisingly underdeveloped. Doesn't work. You know, there's a lot of potential there that isn't realized. Um, but I thought especially the middle segment, because they just they don't go for funny. In the middle, they just go for it's sad and awkward and weird and uh, not a healthy choice that that Josh is making. They don't like try to make the give the car personality. They could have given the car personality. They like they, something the show absolutely could have done, but they don't. They, cho- they choose not to. It just kind of honks every now and again as a response to things. Um, but they don't like give it a funny honk or a sad honk or anything like that. Um, so so I, I, I really liked that they just embraced this is weird and this is pathetic and it's not funny. And to have like a third of your episode be that I think is really interesting. And so then, then it ends with a lot more entertainingly, you know, with the cop thing is really fun. And uh, the, the Grim Reaper thing works pretty well too. Uh, But I I like what they're doing on Man Seeking Woman this season. It's, it still hasn't come together. I, I think it can all 
come together to reach a new level, which is why on the UV Globe, I still haven't given it an A this season, even though I've really liked it. Um, but the fact that they're willing to do that and what they're playing with, I think, is really interesting. So so tip of the hat to Man Seeking Woman. And Younger had a really fun third episode. They're going, they're like... They they know which which strings to pull for me and the love triangle string which they continue to be in a pre love triangle situation where like you know that the, that's where the show's going to go so you can get invested in the ship before it even is a ship. Well done, younger. You are manipulating me just as you intend, and it is working very well. I am fully on board with this, and it was just really, really fun episode. So uh, yeah, like a boss, a lot of fun. But I don't want to, you know, delay any longer because also very fun is the season one of Andrew Tribeca. I intended to watch like a, a few episodes. And, yeah. and also, let me just say one more time, Angie Tribeca, because every time I hear someone say Angie Tribeca, it sounds like Andrew Tribeca. So Angie Tribeca, I intended to watch just a few episodes and ended up just mar- like doing the marathon like they intended and watching all of them. What so about you? So you stayed up late and just watched it. Well, I had them on my DVR. Okay, yeah. okay. But yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I watched... I managed to watch the first two, and then I had to go and watch The Good Wife. Ugh. And um, then I... My DVR was only set to record episodes that aired in the 9 o'clock hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But luckily, I managed to watch those episodes that aired in, like, the nine ten o'clock hour, and then TBS was coming up on the episodes that should have recorded mm-hmm. in the act during the marathon. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, great, perfect. So I managed to like watch all of it over the course of, I think, yeah. Yeah. I managed to watch all of it both off my DVR and then again off the repeated marathon or whatever version of the marathon they were in at that point. Nice. Well, what did you think? Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, this kind of like broad slapstick um naked gun esque humor is always something i'll I'll enjoy um so to just watch really serious things or people play really serious in just ridiculous things like I've been framed, and then a guy two guys walk by with a frame to frame him literally, and it's just like, oh, yes, yes, you understand. But yeah, no, I just really enjoyed like random word plays and just all of it is really, really funny. Um, I started to like get a little tired of it mm-hmm. towards the end just because I had watched so much of it by that point. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was really, really funny. Um, and I liked the layering of absurdist histories of she had a partner who was her lover, but went into a tunnel all by himself on a call and never came back. And then she spent some time in Paris with a painter, and it didn't go well. And then what was her other big, what was her other big historical moment that Angie had? Uh, well, the main the main ones I'm remembering are her James Franco partner and her right. the the thumb, the but, thumb Paris. But there was yeah. another one. Well, with he, her. the other one yeah. I just remember that was more of an aside with her was her day off with with Bill Murray. But right, which but was that's great. not historical. Yeah. So I, it, you know, maybe because I watched it all back to back to back, it's a little yeah, it's a little fuzzy. I, yeah. I freely admit it's oh it's the actually... magician maybe being a, a kid music yes. magician. Yeah, that was it. She wanted to be a magician and she couldn't be a magician, <laughs> which was sad. But no, it was. I really really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, just all of it. Like the fact that no one like really acknowledges the fact that Hoffman's a dog. 
I love Hoffman. It's amazing. So much. Like, you want to sell me on this show? Don't say Naked Gun. <laughs> Tell me there is a a dog who is a cop who it's like he's not in a canine unit. No, he's just a dog who's a cop who car- who like carries around a coffee cup and it's just like and, and drives. drives a car and plays the piano and just and it's an actual dog it's not anime oh my god it was so funny it was so funny and yes. tanner uh dion cole who who we love as charlie on blackish blackish yeah uh so good as dj tanner that's right that's his name they just always call him tanner but his name is dj tanner i loved it yeah the naked gun comparison didn't doesn't work for you but the the show overall works though Oh, yeah, absolutely. I had okay. so much fun with it. And, and I don't have that connection to Naked Gun okay. that other people do. So when I think of Naked Gun, I think of Les Nielsen being awesome yeah. and, like, a, a show not – I don't have positive associations with it. And that's not fair because I haven't seen it. So yeah. I've seen, like, clips here and there that didn't work for me. And I've seen okay. Les Nielsen being amazing. Uh, right. So, so for me, I don't necessarily have that same background with it, but I just thought it, it worked really well. I mean, Jerry Burns is just hilarious. He's so good in that role as that right. that character. I mean, it's just ridiculous how much fun he is. And having uh, having the the CSI Miami like scream in yeah, I think all but every ep- all but one two. There's is two. It two. Yeah, okay. there's an earlier one and oh, there's right. a later one. Yeah. Um, where they don't become diegetic. Um, yeah. But I thought that was delightful, and the creativity of, like, who they brought in, the guest guest stars and the storylines, and, I mean, it's just... It it knows its level, and it plays it to perfection. It's silly, it is slight, and it does not care. It's not trying to change the world. It's just no. a bunch of people v- being very serious about being very funny. Did you watch um, any of, like, the the live show in between the episodes while you were watching it on your DVR? Did you watch any of that? Because it was no. actually really, really funny. Oh, was it good? I'll have to go yeah. back. Yeah, no, I would totally recommend going back. I mean, Dion Cole hosts it, and I mean, like, towards the end, he's just like, we're going to have a staring contest. And he just stares at the television, he stares at the camera for, like, a minute and a half. And it's just bizarre and absurd. Um, people could call in to like talk to them about the show. Mm-hmm. So like they either arranged it ahead of time or she called in, but Carol Burnett called in <laughs> and said that the show was delightfully stupid. Yeah. And it's just it really is. great. Like, yeah, no, it is delightfully stupid. Um, Kevin Riley, who's the new president of, um, well, not new. He's been there for a little while, but, uh, the president of Turner entertainment. So he runs TBS and TNT was there answering phones Mm-hmm. for a segment so it's just like this weird kind of like loose live show party vibe in between the episodes that was a lot of fun so i would i would totally recommend going back and watching it if you still have it recorded um the other really fun part was as it gets to the end because i was expecting them just to run the live show marathon for the entire thing mm-hmm. and Dion cole was just like yeah no we're done if you were expecting me to run this for 25 hours you're insane <laughs> Well, because so, I'm sure they could just then repeat it, but yeah, they, they yeah, did. Yeah, they did. That's okay. exactly what they did. Did you have a favorite episode? Um, or like favorite like villain or or, or baddie? Um, I mean Keegan Michael Key as uh, Fontbot uh, was really absurd. Um, 
Um, but I mean, he was just leaning in really hard on it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the Thumb Affair was probably my favorite episode um, of them, with uh, Tribeca's Day Off being like really, really close second. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I think I would I would go to the Thumb and yeah. and all that. I thought that you know, John Michael Higgins is, is just, oh, so good. He's always great. Uh, yeah. Back to of course, people will know him as the very professional attorney or lawyer on Arrested Development, but he's been, like, in a million things. He's always great. I mean, he's Dr. and Randy Zayas. Dr. Zayas is one of the characters on the show, yes. Uh, never a laugh, never a punchline, uh, yeah. the fact that his name is Dr. Zayas. Um, but, I mean, just, again, because the fact that they just play it so completely straight, that's what the commitment to it, that's what makes it work. That's what lets it sing. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to watching this every week. And, and, it works really well for me as a marathon, but I also think it'll it'll work in a half hour chunk too. Yeah, I agree. So I think that'll be good. Um, any other thoughts, or if not, what wins your week in comedy? Um, I'm going to give it to Andrew Tribeca this week, um, just because it was. I mean, it kind of gets to cheat because it was ten hours of not ten hours. It was five hours of really sustained laughter, um, which is more than everyone else offered, but. It was also just really fun and fresh and something really different for a live action sitcom. So yeah, it's Andrew Tribeca for me. What about you? Um, I also really liked Bob's Burgers this week and Gallivant. I'm still, I haven't talked about it because I've already given my thoughts on the first seven, but I'm still really enjoying Gallivant. Um, I think because you gave it to Andrew Tribeca, I'm going to split the vote and give it to Younger because I did really like Younger this week as well. Um, but, uh, and, and they're having a really strong second season, uh, but Andrew Tribeca is delightful. So if you guys have been like, weren't sure if you should watch it, do watch Andrew Tribeca. Yeah. If this, if what we're saying sounds like, you know, like it might be your thing, then you will definitely like the show. I look forward to people's thoughts about it. Um, but now we've got an insane week in genre, so we got to move on. We got to move on. No, um, we'll be right back with our week in genre after this. This weekend genre listeners is insane. So we'll be boiling things down as much as we can. Uh, but we need to preview the X-Files, which is returning to, to screens this upcoming weekend, as well as talk the 100 premiere, Juanita Part 1. Uh, I'm going to talk just very briefly about Heroes Reborn, which finished with Project Reborn. Then we're both going to talk about the DC's Legends of Tomorrow, the pilot. Part 1 started uh, Agent Carter, premiered The Lady in the Lake, A View in the Dark, uh, we have thoughts on Supergirl, Childish Things, and then the Flash Potential Energy. And very, very quickly at the end, we'll talk a little Shannara Chronicles Changeling. That's right, guys. We're not talking about Arrow because there's not enough time. We have thoughts, but we'll have to save them for next week. Uh, first off, let's kick things off with the X-Files. I've seen the first three. Uh, how many have you seen? Uh, just the first two. I didn't have time to go watch Mulder and Scully meet the Monster. We, I will give a few thoughts on that as well. Uh, but what did yeah. you think of the first two? I, I think I think it's fair to say reception in general from critics has been mixed. Yeah. Uh, how how did you feel about them? Um, 
I feel like the first episode is very reflective of everything I don't like about Chris Carter episodes. Mm-hmm. Turned up to like eight. And so it's just kind of, it's a lot of stuff and it's a lot of recap and it's a lot of like trying to get things going again. And it it's entertaining enough, I think, but it's also just, it's all those things I don't like about Chris Carter episodes really distilled somehow. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, nah, nah, type of thing. But th- I think the second episode's better. How did you feel about the first episode? Um, I agree. Uh, Chris Carter yeah. ep- episodes are almost never my favorite episodes. Yeah, no. Um, but, you know, having <laughs> Annette Mahendru in there actually right. really helped parts yeah. of the episode. Um, I think if that role had been cast differently, I could have completely yeah. disconnected. But she made sure I was invested um, that performance. Um, didn't care about the Joel McHale stuff at all. He does really good conservative slime ball television personality stuff, though. He does that really well. Yeah, for <laughs> listeners, uh, Annette Mahendry is somebody they run into and in the course of investigating something. Uh, Joel McHale is a conservative slime ball who is a fan of their work on the X Files um, yeah. and is a ufologist and. Um, I think just like uh, just in his, his spare time, he believes, um, and that's he's who prompts their return to this world. Yeah. Um, and what I said previously is that it feels like it's trying to have its cake and eat it, where it wants to attract new li- viewers who don't know the deal with the X Files, who missed it, um, yeah. but also fit with the previous mythology, and that doesn't work. Because no, they're saying stuff not. like, "Well, what do we really?" It's like you've been—you've both been abducted. You both yes. have experienced. You both know some things. You can't pretend that you don't know some things. Um, so I think yeah. it's just trying to serve too many uh, interests. And yeah. um, so yeah, I didn't think it was as good. The second episode, which is the James Wong episode, was yeah. much better. And uh, it really—I thought—I thought, I thought it, it tied into the personal dynamic between the two of them a lot. I've, I've heard some. Some critics complain that the Mulder and Scully dynamic is too different between the two episodes. But for me, that's kind of what the show has always felt like. Um, Depending on the perspective of a given episode, they might be really close or they might uh, be more in one character's mind or the other character's mind. So, I mean, I thought I I didn't have any trouble with that. Did you have any trouble with that? No. And I feel like... uh... I hate to bag on other critics, but I mean, this has been kind of a general consensus sort of thing. I feel like a lot of folks just aren't remembering the X-Files very well. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I just rewatched all of it. And yeah. I'm just like, all the Chris Carter episodes are like that, guys. It it was always like that. <laughs> and yes, their dynamics are always kind of shifted between episodes. As you said, I mean, it just kind of depended on what the case was where the focus was so i mean it always kind of shifted a lot and so i'm i'm kind of like do you are we not remembering this show very well or like what's going on and um so that's where i've been kind of like responding to a lot of like internally with a lot of the critical response to the first two episodes it's just like this was always kind of how the show worked yeah and i don't need to have defined for me what their relationship is or what it yeah. was in the off season between the series. I don't need to know if they yeah. shacked up together or if they remember show listeners. This is a show where they, they kissed like twice, right? They were, they yeah. had to, a kid and were together, but it was basically all off screen. 
Right. I mean, their, like, conception of William is mentioned in a line of dialogue. Yeah. Their personal life, the show treated their personal life as their personal life. And so that was their own business. That was not our business. And so we weren't let into that. Um, And and so it's not surprising to me that that's maintained here. As for the third episode, um, if you liked Aaron Morgan episodes, I think you will really like it. I really liked it. Um, It's not the best Darren Morgan episode, but I mean, come well, on. I mean, nothing's going to be the final repose of Clyde. Yeah. Nothing's going to be that. <laughs> yeah. So. I, yeah. I mean, you're not going to get that one, but I mean, even just thinking of his episodes of Millennium as well, because there's a couple yeah. of those, which are also yeah. really fantastic. It, it's just refreshing and wonderful to have his voice back. And it feels very, it's a very comedic episode as, as his episodes tend to be. Um, it has a lot of Mulder. It's very Mulder heavy. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of really great stuff in there. And I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's very talky, but again, if you're an X-Files fan, you know what to expect from a Darren Morgan episode, and that's kind of how I feel about this. And I think it's kind of interesting that they did fully commit to this greatest hits. Like the Chris Carter episodes are going to be Chris Cartery, the James Wong episodes are going to be James Wongy, and the Glenn Morgan episode is going to be Glenn Morgany, the Darren Morgan episode is going to be Darren Morgany, etc. Yeah. Throughout, like, because they brought back their, you know, their murderers row of writers as best they could. Vince Gilligan was too busy, and and I, I like that, that, you know, they still have their voice. So it feels like the X-Files. Yeah. I really liked it um, yeah. as a whole. Don't you just know that the first episode is the worst <laughs> of the three of what that, we've seen yeah. of what we've seen. And they're only going to be six. So I've seen half of it. Yeah. And I so far I'm I'm pleased. I'm happy. Yeah. It's not changing my world, but I'm happy. I am too. My only, like, my really biggest hang-up is that the show just looks really slick now, so mm-hmm. I'm just like, uh, I like, especially in uh, the second episode where I'm just like, why is everything so brightly lit in this episode? It's driving me up the wall. Mm-hmm. Everything should be much darker than what it is yeah. for the X-Files. Um, so it feels even, like, brighter than episodes when they moved from out moved to la to shoot stuff it was just it's really bright and slick looking in a way that the x-files only was in the most recent movie which was awful so i mean aesthetically eh, it's it doesn't totally feel like the x-files but narratively it's totally the x-files Okay, well, I, we're going to talk more about it next week once you've had a yeah. chance to see the Darren Morgan episode. Um, but for now, let's move on to the 100 premiere. I Again, I ran out of time. I haven't seen it. Um, oh, okay. What did you think of the 100 premiere? The 100 premiere is just really, really strong uh, reintroduction into the show. Uh, there's a three-month time skip. Um, Clark's on the run uh, because everyone is hunting her. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, All the grounders, I'm sorry, are hunting her because... The, especially the new threat of the Ice Nation, um, are hunting her, um, mainly because their queen of the Ice Nation wants uh, her power because she brought down the Mountain Men. Mm-hmm. So that's what's happening with Clark. Um, the Camp Jaha has been renamed Arcadia. Of course um, it has. <laughs> of course it has. And so, but no, um, and then Murphy gets Murphy gets locked in that bunker and then gets out of that bunker and Jaha's discovered the City of Lights, everyone! And I, they don't really explore the City of Lights in the premiere. It's more so in the second episode. Um, but yeah, no, it's a really solid reintroduction to the show. There's a lot of really great stuff in it. Uh, new character dynamics. Uh, Jasper's not in a good place at all, uh, as he would not be, considering yeah. everything that happened in the season two finale. 
but no, it's a really solid introduction, reintroduction back into the show. Um, new, fresh character dynamics to be explored. And I'm really excited about this season. Um, some of the critical reception based on having seen the last four episodes was, I think, a little overreacty. But I also chalk a lot of that up to the fact that these four episodes, first four episodes, like I said in the preview, were really kind of setup heavy. So to leave us hanging with something that was basically ready to like start running was maybe not the best choice. But I'm still really optimistic about this season. Okay, well, I will have thoughts next week, listeners. But for now, I didn't have time because I had to watch and review Heroes Reborn for the final time over at the AV Club. My, my thoughts are there. Um, and I'm just getting, again, we're short on time, so I'm going to boil this down. The Heroes Reborn finale is the Heroes Reborn finale. So what <laughs> you expected from the Heroes Reborn finale is basically what happened. So it actually starts surprisingly well, um, all things considered, because it. You, you know, we all knew what we were expecting for a Heroes finale. Um, but then it just takes a turn about three quarters of the way through where they're like, we still have 15 minutes. So let's add a new wrinkle to the to the prophecy that has never been mentioned previously. And then we can have a character watch themselves remember it so that they can explain why they have their memory back. Cuz uh, things. And then there's a point when the time traveler, time and space traveler splits himself into two because while he was locked in a prison that voided all his abilities, so he couldn't use his abilities, so he couldn't escape, he was apparently also able to train for what felt like an eternity because time had no meaning and get really good at his abilities. That makes sense to me. Without using them. That also makes sense to me. That makes sense to you? Sure, why not? Why not? That's the correct approach (laughs) for Heroes Reborn. Um, Yeah, it's just... it's. It just goes to a stupid place. And it just, again, it's what many expected. If you go back and read the reviews of the show based on just the, you know, the early season reviews based on just like the first handful of episodes they sent out, this is what most people anticipated. It's a, it's a solid idea, just bungled by poor writing and arcing over the course of the season uh, and a lot of wasted potential. So, uh Yeah. Heroes are born is heroes are born, and what do you ex- I mean, it's really it's our faults for watching, right? No, it, it's your fault for watching. I only watched like four episodes and then I stopped. Well, speaking of, I feel like this is a really easy segue into our next show, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, which has pilot part one of its pilot. It's a two part pilot, um, but this one is another one where like we know what we're getting theoretically, right? Yes. We're not getting a great show. We're hoping no. we're getting a fun show. Was it a fun show? At some point, we're going to get a fun show. Um, no, the pilot, um, as I wrote in my review over at uh, TV.com, the pilot, A, has to recap and like rehashes everything from the Flash Arrow crossover. In case you didn't watch the Flash Arrow crossover, which was fun, because then I got to see more flashbacks to that awful Egyptian flashback. So bad. So bad. And then, I mean, so, like, that aspect, I mean, was rough. So, I mean, that took up, like, the middle chunk of the episode. And then the bookends are basically justifying reasons for this show to exist. Of Why would these eight weird misfit people want to do this, basically? And so, like, the first half of 
everyone deciding what the, how why they want to do it actually all makes sense within where these characters are, with the exception of Jax, the other half of Firestorm, who Victor Garber drugs. He just gets kidnapped. He I just like gets that, kidnapped. actually. You like the fact that he was drugged without consent and then he was roofied and dragged onto I a d- time travel I, I don't think it's a good thing to do, but I think <laughs> I can see a character doing it and just be like, you're not screwing this up for me. <laughs> I can't see Martin Stein doing that, though, was my thing. Okay, fair enough. And I just went, that doesn't make any sense, but okay, we have to drug the black guy, okay. And so, I mean, the, it was spent, like, them figuring out a reason to go is great, but then they find out that Rip lied to them and that their lives don't mean anything to the space-time continuum, and that's why he picked them to go kill Vandal Savage. And then they all decide to still stay. (laughs) And for not the best reasons sometimes, like Ray and Sarah's reasons, wanting redemption, wanting their lives to matter, makes sense. Cold and Heatwave staying, because it means that they can still rob things, didn't really make sense because it was just like, you guys can still go rob shit in Central <laughs> City. The Hawks staying makes sense because they want to go kill Vandal. But Jack staying because he likes being part of a team that roofies him <laughs> didn't make any sense. So for me, the pilot was kind of meh in that it spent a lot of time like defensively justifying the fact that they really wanted to keep like five of these actors under contract that had previously appeared on the sh- on Arrow and Flash. But at the same time, the glimmers of a really fun show came out when Sarah, Cold, and Heatwave go to a bar in the 70s and just cause trouble while listening to Love Will Keep Us Together. <laughs> the best part of the episode for me. Um, but that was the fun show that I think could be happening. And I've already seen the second episode, but we can talk about that next week. What did you think about Pilot Part 1 for Legends of Tomorrow? I... I agree with most of what you're saying. Uh, there's too many characters. Yeah. Uh, and there's nine leads to this show. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. And if like they, they feel like they need to have Hawkgirl and Hawkman there to wrap the plot around yes. it. But the show would be way better if they had just come up with a different reason for their... Well, they don't even need the Hawks after Vandal killed my wife and son and I want to kill him. That's all you need from... That's all you need. Yeah. Well, because they just... They're like, oh, we have Vandal Savage, so we gotta have the Hawks. It's like, no, you don't. And they the reason that they have Firestorm there is because they want an old guy, so... And they want a black guy, so... Because it's a very white, very same age, same... You know, it's a very samey yeah. cast. Uh, so that's why they have... And they, they're like, we can get Victor Garber. He's amazing. He'll do it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so that's but why. Damn it, I... Robbie Amell decided to go be a movie star. <laughs> damn it. So, 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 like again, there's just like of the different people who make sense to be there. Um, they just they needed to cut people, and they and like, yeah. and you can explain through the plot why the Hawks are there. You can explain, um, you know, like like why I, everybody kind of makes sense, like especially all the different pairs. But then they're like, okay, we need more women. So Sarah Lance because. Katie Lotz is awesome. Um, yes. Oh, we don't want Brandon Routh to go take another job, so we better fit him in here too, even though he doesn't make sense. You know, I, I also think that they could have. Um, what they need to do is embrace the Doctor Who of. Oh my God, we get to travel in time because yeah. I feel like that is completely undersold by everybody except the two nerds. Nobody is enjoying. We need. We get to travel in time. That's amazing. Right. Uh, 
which is why the that bar scene is so much fun because that's what yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, when they're going, I love the seventies. Well, they smashed <laughs> bottles on people. I mean, that's that is the energetic, infectious kind of show that this needs to be to really work. Um, right. The more they go for like high drama, the more I think they're going to struggle unless they really focus in on like one or two characters each week and so that we get enough time with them to let that yeah. really come together. The, it's, the time is split between too many people for it to really have a lot of depth. Yeah. Um, so so they're, they're better off just going for energy and fun. And right now they're struggling a little bit. But I do think it could be a very entertaining disposable kind of show yeah if they can figure figure their out their levels yeah and the second episode does kind of figure out the levels a fair bit not okay. like it's not like totally there yet but the opening the cold open for the the cold open for the second episode demonstrates why this cast is really good okay I'll well, say I look, that. Yeah, I look yeah. forward to that. And and again, I think there's a very clear comparison to make between DC's Lessons of Tomorrow and our next show, Agent Carter. Uh, and that is one show has no lead. One show has a freaking awesome lead uh, in Agent Carter. I'm so glad that this season two came that they got the season two because season one was okay for me, but not great. And the pieces were there, but they needed to figure them out. And for me, with the, this two part premiere. Agent Carter has figured that stuff out because I think this is a much stronger premiere than anything we got last season. And I, I really like where it, where it looks like we're going um, in this season. What, what did you think about Lady in the Lake and A View in the Dark? Okay. I was going to ask what parts they figured out for you. Um. <laughs> they figured they figured out uh, Peggy. They okay. figured out uh, her dynamic with Sousa and giving her somewhat of a personal life instead of having her just pine for Captain America, who Chris Evans is too famous to be on their show. Um, you know, that I thought that that worked. So instead, they did, like, the season of her mourning, so now she can have yeah. some fun. They yes. figured out, uh, th th they just all went all in on Peggy and Jarvis's dynamic. They introduced Mrs. Jarvis and made her awesome. Awesome. Like, the best. Like, the best. Super amazing. Which So that way we can really enjoy Peggy and Jarvis without needing to ship them because, no, unacceptable, Mrs. Jarvis is too amazing for Jarvis to, to like, want to fool around with Peggy. Um, I, so I think the way they handled that was so smart and so well done. Uh, they got rid of all the chaff with all of the other office stuff. Like, it's there enough to get things moving and to theoretically, I assume, tie in by the time we get to the finale. But they yeah. don't spend a lot of time with that other part of the show. Um, I would have liked to see, uh, you know, the Peggy's friendships. But, they, you know, they... they I guess Laura, Laura Fonseca is going to be back at some point in like a dream sequence thing, but I can see why she's not. It, may, it would make sense for her to be here because she should be in Hollywood. Why not? She's an actor. Yeah. Um, but with the way that they're structuring the show is so focused in on the work. Yeah. I think it actually kind of does make sense and I can see why they didn't go that, that direction. Um, I mean, I think it's really tight. I think the action is great. They brought Dottie back and they had some kick-ass fight scenes. That um, bank sequence. Yeah. Great. Great. And the fake out, the fake out with seeing her walking through the crowd of men. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, oh, that's, that's Dottie. <laughs> nice. Yes. So what, I, basically, so many things. So you ask, what did yeah. they get right? What did they tweak and change and get right? All of the things is kind of how I feel about it. Okay. 
All right. Uh, no, I was so excited that this was back. Um, I was a huge fan of um, the first season. And so I was very, very glad that the show got a second. And I was very glad, like, it was back. Like, I kind of forgot how much I missed it. Mm-hmm. As soon as it, like, started, I was just like, oh, I really missed this. I really missed Haley Atwell just being really awesome. Yeah. And, no, I was I really enjoyed um, everything that was happening in this episode. I enjoyed the, her awkward, flustered conversations with Wilkes, the scientist from Indodyne was just really great. And they have oodles of chemistry and they're so adorable together. And then he got sucked into maybe an alternate dimension. And yeah, who knows? Um, That is like the one thing I'm like semi iffy on is that I feel like agent Carter is becoming an agents of shield origin story for a lot of the stuff that's happening in in the current uh season of agents of shield obviously i mean it's the ssr will become shield so obviously it's an origin story for shield but i could do without a lot of the hydra stuff that's like starting to creep in i'm just like oh god no i get enough hydra on agents of shield i don't need any more here (laughs) um but so i mean at the same time we also got ray wise again Mm mm-hmm as a Hydra member, which of course he is. So Graham Curie and Win Everett, um, as like this power couple in LA, I really like that idea. And their dynamic is also just really, really interesting, I think. And um, hopefully we'll provide like a nice balance to, and a nice parallel to uh, Carter and Souza and how they kind of explore their dynamics and who's in charge and who isn't in charge and that sort of thing. So no, I'm very, 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 very excited and very, 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 very happy that Agent Carter's back. Um, any, do you have any shipping? Are you, are you, are you a Peggy and uh Sousa shipper? Um, I'm my, <laughs> I joke routinely that my sexual orientation is Peggy Carter plus whatever firearm she has in her hand at that moment. <laughs> Fair so enough. it's like, oh no, my, my sexual orientation right now is Peggy Carter and that shotgun. <laughs> um, no, so no, I don't really ship anyone on the show mm-hmm. um, in any real way. So this is one of those shows where I'm just like, Peggy can be awesome, but I also just, anytime I think about her with someone else, I immediately flash way 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 forward to um uh winter soldier and her scene with um steve and Mm -hmm. i just my heart breaks a little bit and so i flash to that but i'm i'm totally not opposed to um peggy getting it on at all this Mm -hmm. season so no i'm very excited do you ship do you ship peggy and oh yeah Oh, totally. But, you know, I like that they introduce his new girlfriend and that we like her and that Peggy likes her. So important. These are the kinds of of moves that when I see, oh, oh, I'm glad they did that. I didn't necessarily expect it. And you see it's showrun by two women. And I go, okay, I am less surprised now. Um, And maybe that's sexism on my part. I'm sure there are many male showrunners who also would have subverted expectations and not gone the you know, and, and embraced the Bechdel of women can like other women and still be right. interesting. And but Arrow uh, had that yeah. with Thea and, Thea and Sin back yeah. in season two, so a nice example. Anyway, go on. But yeah, uh, so yeah, so yeah, they they want you to, yeah, or else they wouldn't be playing that that note so hard. But I like that they do leave. You know, clearly some things happen that we don't know about, and we will yeah. find out eventually. But 
uh, for now, that doesn't matter because, you know, <laughs> to uh, quote the title of this episode, this week's episode of Younger, uh, Agent Carter's a boss. And so she's going to L.A. kicking ass and taking names. And I mean, if I I also have to say, if I'm going to ship somebody else on, on this season, it's clearly going to be Jarvis and the Peacock because the that flamingo. is the flamingo. Sorry, the flamingo. Bernard. <laughs> such a lovely you know i like that they can also be very silly while they're doing yeah. all these other things so very happy to have Ethan carter back and i it sounds like i'm it sounds like we're on the same page this season you liked it more than i did last season so i'm yeah. glad that i'm i'm right there with you this season yes um how about supergirl we're talking about supergirl in this very full week we yeah. are making time for an episode of supergirl childish things how about that? Yeah, no, it's really weird, but I think Childish Things is maybe, like, their first really good episode since the pilot, which is mm. a really depressing thing to say. Um, but yeah, no, um, the big thing about this episode, apart from them digging deep in for a, um, a big Superman villain with Toy Man, was, which was something that they was waiting in the wings because of when. Mm-hmm. And we all knew that was coming. Um, but it was just the fact that they ripped off that Band-Aid and Kara knows that Wynn is into her. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I'm not going to pretend anymore. And I'm just like, oh, thank Christ. Because yeah. I can't do it anymore, guys. I can't. <laughs> I couldn't do it like four <laughs> weeks ago. Five right. weeks ago when it was being very creepy. What I really like about how they handle that as well is it's not just, it's not just, oh, I want to be with you. I don't want things to change. It's what it, it very much, it doesn't explicitly state this, but it all, it just about does. You wanting things to not change means you want me to be unhappy. Yeah. And I like that they, that they, address that that they include that in the conversation is like things can't not change because it's it's like he says it's killing him to have yeah. things not change so ruining their friendship which who knows you know he's worried that that's what you know has happened is better than keeping it the same and she should feel bad for wanting I mean, she wants it to be like it was but she should feel bad about that because she should understand what that was doing to him and i feel like that's an element of the the unrequited love story friendship thingy that so many shows do that never really comes up and never is given the the, you know the the attention it deserves so i really like that aspect of it it's amazing how if you give broadway star jeremy jordan things to do he can be really good yes he is very he's great in this episode i mean he has a lot of like really complex emotional beats to play with um henry I, i'm i'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name church serious now with his father with his father yes who's playing toy man um but no he's like really he's digging really deep for really big emotional stuff that all works really really well considering the fact that the character has basically just been cardboard for the past eight episodes that's really impressive they they push things to a head with Kara and Wynn by giving him other stuff way bigger to deal with and that yeah. that moving things forward. I, and I like that they don't just go, but I love you and I need to say this now because it sweeps. You know, I, I love that it, it comes from an organic place that we see how supportive she is of him as a friend and, you know, and, and you get a sense of their just how 
close their relationship has been for so long instead of just like he's the funny cute guy who's her friend who is sticking around because he likes her but no there's a core of friendship there that is demonstrated in this episode that i think is very important and an understanding yeah. of the other person as well um i oh nice to see emma caulfield pop up yeah oh. randomly i didn't recognize her it took me like four the scenes hair? to rec- yeah because of the hair yeah <laughs> um but i really did i just don't care at all about the lord stuff like even a little bit at the end when he's like, ah, ha, 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 I know your secret identity. I'm like, I still don't care. Yeah, no. And I mean, I enjoyed having Hank play mm-hmm. Maxwell Lord and him just like talking about how Max just can't grow a beard, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which was, I mean, it was funny, but at the same time, it's just like they've just made Maxwell Lord just, they've really rushed his arc into becoming basically Lex Luthor even though they kept saying he's not going to be our Lex Luthor and it's just like guys you got a high powered businessman as your villain he's going to be Max he's going to be Lex Luthor congratulations he's probably going to run for president in a season and a half and oh god I just really don't want him to be there in a season and a half like like you said that Hank playing him was so much more entertaining let Peter Facinelli do some humor let him yeah. be funny every now and again, because it's yeah. amazing he how what a difference that makes. He doesn't do good menace. No. His menace is bad. It's just kind and, of vaguely smarmy, and it doesn't yes. work. Yeah. And, yeah. So, and then, do we need to talk about Lucy now working for CatCo, or do we not even care? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, at least there's more of a reason for her to be around. And, I, I mean, I love the just straight out their feminism of the show you know that yeah. conversation with her and cat where she's like no you're too smart to just be a girlfriend yeah and that's what cat's here for at this point is just to be like this is our this is our feminist 101 discourse for everyone and, <laughs> and i'm okay I'll take with it. that yeah. yeah i'll take it yeah i'll yeah. take it <laughs> absolutely uh any final thoughts on supergirl or is it time for the flash it's time for the flash potential energy yeah what did you think about potential energy this week I like what they do with Wally and of course they give uh, Jesse L. Martin things to do and he's going to be great. So that was a nice way to change up that dynamic. Then maybe what we expected and to make sure they're not rushing things. I think is important. Uh, I did not see that coming with, with Patty, the, her leaving because that actor is so good in that role. And, you know, so I thought that, you know, I thought that was really the fact that they managed to let that be surprising and to give, they found another way to do the superhero girlfriend or boyfriend thing without having it just be like a tragic death. And I'm yeah. so, so glad. So him not opening up to her and him being the Flash cost him that relationship. Yes. But without her dying or without her finding out and being like, you lied to me this whole time, so I'm leaving you. They found a different way to do that. And tip you know like oh, congratulations because very few shows have been interested in or found a way to do that um i thought it really worked and yeah it also gets around their problem of he should have told her forever ago i like right. cisco's reaction too of she's seen flash man <laughs> uh, what did you think um i really enjoyed this episode um i'm just so glad that the setup is over for legends of tomorrow and flash can just do its thing again mm-hmm. um so no, I'm in total agreement with you that they really figured it out. I didn't how to have her depart in a way that wasn't bad or ridiculous. It made sense for her emotionally. From all right, I've been put in danger three times now, yeah, <laughs> and I've solved my father's like murder issue. 
type of thing. And uh, this isn't really what I wanted to be doing anyway. I just did this to solve that issue. So yeah. I'm going to go get my forensics degree now. See ya. Yeah. And you're being kind of a crappy boyfriend. And I've been really, really great to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it was, no, it was really, really nicely executed. Um, I really enjoyed Turtle. Um, I was wondering how the hell they were going to do, if they were ever going to do Turtle Man. Because he's just one of the most ridiculous Flash villains. <laughs> and um, so that was really fun. Um, I liked uh, Aaron Douglas's performance of talking just slow enough. Um, just like little touches like that. Um, and that, yes, he just is crazy. Yeah, no, there's nothing else to him. He's just kind of off his rocker, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm ex- I'm really, really excited that Jay can come back to the show <laughs> and start doing things now that we don't have to do Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but everyone was just also just having a lot of fun this week, I thought. Um, mm-hmm. Like, the whole, you're a really good superhero. No, thanks. No, really, really good. Thanks a lot. <laughs> do you think bringing your girlfriend to this kind of thing is a smart idea? And just like, um, even Teddy Sears, who plays Jay, got into it a little bit. Like when he and Caitlin kiss, he makes like this little face as he like goes off to go do something. And yeah. it's just this adorable, sweet little face. And I'm just like, why the fuck were we doing this sooner? And so, no, I'm, I was very, very happy with Potential Energy. And I'm very excited that it means that the show can start like going to and really digging into Earth 2 and Zoom. And I also love what Ted Kavanaugh is getting to do. God, isn't it great? It's so great. And I love how different it is from what he yeah. spent all of last season doing, where yeah. he, he he was the fun, um, you know, mentor guy, and then he was evil guy, and now, now he's weight of the world on his shoulder guy. Yeah. And the way that he's playing, like, he's knocked it out of the park with each of these different... Yeah. completely legitimate takes on the character yes. and the show's writing of that of that character of handling of harry versus dr wells has been you know that's an easy pitfall but they've, yeah. they've done it well and kavanaugh has really stretched his legs or, or not stretched his legs because his legs were already stretched <laughs> he was already very capable of all this but he's shown such uh you know like there's a core to that character that you can see but it also feels very natural and organic where he finds himself at different yeah. points. So I, you know, I think it's, uh, it, it's also d- doing a lot to remind, you know, to, to continue to add stakes to the show where yes, everybody's having fun, but you know who can't have fun? The guy whose daughter is still being held by a psychopath. Right. And, and I think that's so important. Yeah. And I think that's really the best thing about The Flash overall, is that it manages to balance those really heavy dramatic stakes of whether or not it's Iris and Joe trying to form Family West 2.0 and failing miserably, or it's Harry, or as I call him, Harrison too, um, having to do all these horrible things to these people that he really likes at this point. And he doesn't want to, but he has to save Jesse. And he wants to. And there's just, like, this really great balance that it never skews or feels false or tonally dissonant. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I I was really, really happy with Potential Energy. Excellent. Well, our last show of our week in the genre is the Shannara Chronicles Changeling. And it's here basically so we can just say this. Shannara Chronicles show, just come over here for a moment. Just, like, just, like. Okay, so sit down. Shut sit the down. door. Yeah, you're. you're <laughs> we had a lot of fun. 
with what you're doing at the beginning of the season, but it seems like you've lost track of a very important thing. The strongest part of your show is Manu Bennett. Stop sidelining him. We don't care about the young, pretty elf things. We don't care about stupid half-elf guy being the most dupable dupe who's ever been duped. We do care so about... So Oh, God, so dupable. We do care about Manny Bennett. We probably care about John Reese davies Do not care about Moody, uh, Moody McGee, whatever, the, the, the would-be king. Don't right. care. Oh, God, he's Even. so awful. He's terrible. Uh, so just if you could stop being about all the things we really don't care about and return to being about the things at least I do care a little bit about, that would be great. Also... It's episode four. They should have been questing for at least two episodes. No, they should be on a quest already. We're almost at the halfway point, and they're not on a quest yet. And I mean, I get it. I'm going to confuse. I apologize to those of you who have very clear delineations about fantasy hierarchy type stuff, and those people who at the same time can also explain the difference between sci-fi, science fiction, and SF. But just... I understand epic high fantasy. You have 800 pages to, like, get into the quest. And then another book of 800 pages to get into the quest. You have 10 episodes. (laughs) Start questing. Go to the tavern. Have the barkeep give you some random quest. And just go. Do it. Start leveling up, for the love of God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I think it's pretty safe to say that the Shannara Chronicles doesn't win your weekend genre. So what does win your weekend genre, Nell? almost the flash but i'm so happy to have agent carter back in my life that it's agent carter and they had a really good two-part premiere um i will give some love to darren morgan uh but we'll talk more about that next week just because i'm so glad to have darren morgan back (laughs) on my tv we'll talk about it next week uh but for this week's tv i'm right there with you on on agent carter such a strong start to the season looking forward to talking more of that as the show as the season continues but now we're going to take a break and come back with our week in drama you're a rich girl and you're gone too far because you know it don't matter anyway you can rely on the old man's money you can rely on the old man's money it's a bitch girl but it's gone too far because you know it don't matter anyway say money money won't get you too That was Rich Girl by Hall Notes, which was delightfully uh, included as part of the road trip on this week's episode of Limitless. But before we get to Limitless, we're going to kick off our week in drama with um, a few thoughts from me about the premiere of London Spy, episode one. Uh, then we'll talk a little War and Peace. I only watched episode one of the two part premiere. Did you watch both or just the one? I watched 
both hours. Two hours. Okay. So yeah. we'll talk about the first two hours of War and Peace. Then talk Limitless, Stop Me Before I Hug Again. And we'll round things out with The Good Wife tracks. So I'm going to kick things off quickly with London Spy. You haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Uh, but I totally forgot it was on. <laughs> yeah, understandable. Just like I totally forgot Pretty Little Liars was the thing I was going to watch. Next week, guys. Promise for realsies next week. Uh, but I was only tepidly interested in London Spy based on its fantastic cast because what I understood it to be was a show about a couple and the it's a guy who starts dating a spy um that is not what the show is like at all this is about a guy gets involved with another guy and then stuff happens and we follow our initial guy through a mystery Okay, that, is that very, sounds really interesting. That's very different than, like, he starts dating somebody and they're, and they're a spy. And that's the show. Like, that's not interesting to me at all. And so if someone had told me, no, no, he gets embroiled in the world of espionage, not his boyfriend is a spy, that would have been a very different world, different thing. So I wanted to make that clear to those who have been maybe on the fence about it. I think this is a fantastic premiere. I, the, the relationship, the, the the dynamic they established between the Ben Wishaw character and the titular London spy um, is really interesting. Very, very well played. Uh, kind of weird, but, but completely believable. Uh, Jim Broadbent is great. Charlotte Rampling is barely in the episode that I saw. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, I, well, I'm sure she'll get more to do later, but, uh, what we do get here is it works really, really well. And I understand why everybody was so excited now, uh, because yeah, this is a very different show than I was led to believe by blurbs. And, um, I don't want to say much more than that until you've had a chance to see it. So, sure. cause the discovery is an important part of it, but I okay. think the writing and the performances work really well and it's it's much more a like did you watch it like it's like the wrong man kind of situate thing or like have you yeah. did you watch the comedy the wrong man's yeah from a couple yeah this is kind of like that but a drama where it's like okay. people getting embroiled in stuff and not really necessarily understanding what's going on and getting a sense of the characters really strongly it's hitchcock. yeah it's hitchcock yeah. they're going for hitchcock but with a core of of gay men as yeah. like the leads, well, which is not usually characters you see being somebody other than like a Joe Cairo yeah. in your show. So, uh, yeah, it's wow. Joe Cairo, deep cut. I appreciate that. Oh, that's like <laughs> the least deep of cuts one could do. But, um, but yeah, I really liked it. I hope you get a chance to watch them. Uh, definitely. I will be in for the entire show, entire six episodes. Watch it. BBC America. I was very wrong. Very glad to be wrong. However, war and peace. I wanted to check out after 20 minutes so hard. I really like not even like, like after 10, I was like, wait, my, what are they going to make me care about the characters after 20? They aren't going to make me care about the characters. Do I need to watch the next 40? And I got through the next 40 Noel because I was cooking dinner and I <laughs> could watch it while I was cooking dinner. Uh, this was not good. I'm sorry. I haven't seen, I haven't read War and Peace. I don't have any connection to the material. I don't have any connection to the characters, therefore. And it's very pretty and all. And Jillian Anderson is very funny when she's doing a foppish laugh. But I don't care. And I think it's bad. I think that War and Peace's primary problem, well, it's got a couple of problems. The biggest one is, as you said, there are a lot of characters and we don't get to spend nearly enough time with most of them. 
So when they have their moments of glory on the battlefield, it doesn't matter. Um, it just doesn't mean anything. Um, and I don't have any connection to War and Peace either at all. I haven't read the book, and for the, like the first 30 minutes of the, the miniseries, I kept thinking of Anna Karenina instead, which I've read half of. <laughs> um, so I think that's the big problem, is that they're basically taking this really huge sprawling Russian novel and distilling it down into like eight hours, six to eight hours. And it's just like, uh, guys, that's not going to work super well unless you just like find someone to really focus on. And I think that the big thing that I've been focusing on while watching it in the first two episodes is that Paul Dano is incredible in this. Just for me, he's just, he's doing something that no one else is really doing as Pierre and he's just so deep into that character that everyone else kind of seems like they're acting. And he's just, like, embodying Pierre in a really just... He's totally digging into this hapless intellectual fop that has come into this money and just doesn't know what to do. And it's just really, really fascinating to watch him play against everyone else. Um, Stephen Ray's really great, but Stephen Ray is also playing the conniving count, I think. And that's very firmly within Stephen Ray's wheelhouse. It's really well greased. The man could do this while sleeping and And I would watch be... it. By the right. way. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh so but I mean it's not like super compelling. Um it's not there's a lot of like weird guest guest cameos like Brian Cox showing up just really took me out of it because I was not expecting Brian Cox to show up. I was just like, oh okay, Brian Cox is here. Alright, let's do this. And, but it was just really kind of, it's very pretty, as you said, but it's just very flat as well for me when Dano or Ray aren't on the screen. If they're not there, I'm immediately kind of drifting and checking my phone or waiting to, In when I started watching the episode, I was watching it at work because I was waiting to go to a happy hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's just kind of there. I I was really looking forward to this, just on principle, basically. But you know, not exciting. See, like I I'm just so much harsher on it than you are, and most yeah. most critics that I've you know heard or read, you know, their thoughts on it have been much more positive on this. Like they're like, just like, it's not my thing. I I actively think it's bad, and here's why: I don't care about Paul Dano. Uh, he's a very talented actor, but if I'm supposed to be interested in his character i feel like he needs to be playing a character that i need to have some understanding of and mm -hmm. instead every single person in this is a type and maybe that's yeah. true to the novel but the thing is other period pieces manage to have types who also feel like individuals so okay. as I'm watching this, I'm like, okay, there's the bitchy rich chick who's going to manipulate the guy. Here's the guy who's going to be the victim. Uh, maybe he'll realize things and turn it around by the end and we'll root for him and yay, he'll win. Or maybe he'll get taken advantage of entirely. Those are the two options. It's going to be one of those two probably. Here's the, 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 the scheming assistant guy or advisor guy who's going to try to make sure – like. It just, it's all stuff that I've seen before, and maybe that's because these other things were inspired by War and Peace. Fair enough. Or, well, like, derived from stuff that predated War and Peace, War and Peace, like, fully realized them, and then everything else, like, fell from there. It's very possible, but there's, like, I, 
I am not given a single reason why I should care about any of these people, even a little bit. I'm not, they don't even let somebody be funny. Just let somebody be funny, and then I can like them, and then that's something to go with. But, like, if the point is that I'm not supposed to like any of them or care about any of them, then there are way too many other places I can spend my time. So yeah. that's what I will be doing. Um, are you going to keep watching? Um, probably, I can, if depending on how many more episodes there are, or like two hour chunks, but on the upside, since we're probably never going to discuss this again, I can at least watch it on the weekends. Oh, there you go. Um, well, what about, uh, like, like the opposite corner of the discussion for me is Limitless, Stop Me Before I Hug Again, which I just thought this was so much fun. So exuberant, and like, this yeah. is, like, it's the opposite of War and Peace <laughs> this week for me is Limitless. It's the opposite of, like... This episode in particular, like, I wrote a really quick blurb for TV.com about this episode. Um, basically, I, it's the anti-violent, anti-boring, pro-fun procedural. And this episode just really encapsulates that because this week Brian went to a serial killer crime scene. And to cope with all the blood and the gore and everything, he retreated to his childhood television show with a really bad green screen that we got to see and it was glorious and talked to the old TV show host and they started replacing the words, the bad words with good words. And like, so serial killers who get horrible, dumb nicknames become Mr. Pralines and Cream. Mr. Butter Pecan, Mr. There were a couple of cookie. There were a couple other ones. They were ice cream and like cookie yeah. thing pairings. Yeah. 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 And then it's just like, they hugged her with her own unicorn. Yeah. And the best thing about this episode is, is that the whole conceit of that coping mechanism continues throughout the entire episode. So you have the hardened FBI agents saying things like Mr. Butter Pecan with a unicorn hugged himself. And it's just all this really fun, but they say it so seriously that it doesn't feel ridiculous because it just feels like supernatural which for the actors to say this which i imagine was just kind of a challenge at some point that it how can you say this and it not be funny and a lot of ways it kind of reminded me actually while watching it, i just went oh we're doing andrew tribeca but inverted yep yep and it's just so funny and I also felt like, I mean, it was lampooning criminal profilers a little bit, so I felt like they were doing, like, very sly, like, little Hannibal jabs of, oh, this is what Will would be like if Will were a publicity hound, and it's gross. <laughs> and, but then there was also some Moira stuff, um, Moran stuff, that was really, actually really suspenseful and entertaining. Um, yeah, no, I just really loved this episode. I loved it. I loved it. I can't say enough good things about it, so you say more good things about it. Okay. I, I really was thinking of it as a as a parallel to Angie Tribeca as well, yeah. like you like you. Because it's again, it's that really straight delivery from, from the the performers, but it also shows you the nuance to that delivery because played comedically but deadpan yeah. is Angie Tri Tribeca and played with complete commitment and gravitas is this episode of limitless because when they're saying this stuff it's a little funny because of the conceit of everything but it's not i mean it, it really does start be, start to feel like a regular episode yeah with just those words subbed it literally feels like they just subbed in those words um 
And so it shows you how you can take a, a similar approach to, you know, deadpan comedy, deadpan drama, and, and have them both work and have such different tones at the same time. And the fact that this all comes out of character, this all comes out of coping mechanism and what effect is this work having on Brian? I mean, he was like a musician with a band, with a struggling slash failing band. And he's thrust into this very dangerous and violent world. Yeah. How does he cope? I think pushing him to this breaking point in such a fun, whimsical way also then underlines the larger damage perhaps being done to his psyche by this work that he doesn't want to deal with yet. Um, yeah. And which will, I'm sure, continue to manifest. But it's it's wonderfully creative. It just shows how much um, creativity and energy there is in the writing room over at Limitless and whoever came up with this idea, I assume it's the writer of this episode, but whoever came up with this idea, well done. And the execution from all involved, just like the cast, the, like the, the, the way that they do the road trip, the little visual asides and everything works really well. It's just well done. Well done. Limitless. Uh, any other thoughts? Just, yeah. Um, the only thing is, is that, I don't want to say hug to people. I didn't want to say hug to people after watching this episode. Because <laughs> I was just like, no, I don't want to kill you. <laughs> yeah, yep. Well, speaking of wanting to kill things, The Good Wife <laughs> tracks. <laughs> I have very little to say other than Sarah Steele remains amazing. Uh, what did yes. you think of this? Um, I think the most interesting thing about tracks is that I feel like The Good Wife is... Tr- getting vaguely meta on us with tracks in that they brought back Ruby from Goliath and David, which was a really fun season five episode with um, Thicky Trick. And now that song will be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. And Mm -hmm. um, so, but it's about him needing to say that this song that he wrote, he wrote under blah 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 but it also becomes about well your second album was substantially different from your first album and there's like this debate about whether or not it's substantially different or not and if it still is good or anything like that and i mean all of this is just a real big riff on goliath and david and i'm just like wait are we talking about people responding to the show right now because that's what i feel like we're doing and it's just like, no, 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 we're doing something substantially different, even though we're still doing a split up law firm and Alicia's trying to find herself and that there's this weird chicanery going on with the political campaign and all this stuff. And I'm just like, no, this is pretty much the same thing. And it ends with like Luca and Alicia needing to decide if they want to go back to Lockhart, Agos, and Lee. And it's just like, We've been here before, guys. And I'm just like, mm, yeah. And even, like, the judge and this idea about if you drill into pop music enough, you find overlaps, and they all start to sound the same. Felt like the show going, well, guys, if you just keep analyzing every episode, of course they all start to sound the same. Maybe <laughs> you should just look at the bigger picture. And I'm just like, guys, you're laying it on a little thick. Can I get some more maybe Marissa and Grace just being awesome? The trouble is when we look at the big picture, it's bad. Yeah, no, the big picture isn't, it's not a good song anymore, guys. It's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but Grace and Marissa were fantastic. That was really good. Uh, I liked stuff with, with Marissa and Eli, again, remains a consistent well. 
Marissa and Alicia, like, that's their scene together where Marissa was just like, my dad was trying to do something good, please forgive him. Was like the first time that Alicia and that entire, this entire thing that's been going on for three episodes now, actually felt like Alicia responding to it, A, as Alicia, but B, as a human being. Yeah. Which was just so nice to see. And Juliana Margulies, who joked apparently that she's out of work come April... Uh, today, like that got circulated that she joked that she's out of she's out of a job come April. Um, was just it was the it was the best scene that she's done for this art this little storyline so far because it was just great and it's the best written scene that's been done for this storyline so far. It was it was really really good, but the episode in as a whole was just just weird and not particularly good however i do love matthew lillard and he's so much fun he's here. great and um, i loved him and luca hooking up yeah fantastic and that whole exploration of luca's personal life i want more of mm-hmm. i'm not even upset i like i was kind of shipping luca and carrie a little bit when mm-hmm. they've like went on their dance party date mm-hmm. to the club but I'm loving this idea of Luca, like, just playing the field. And I like Carrie's kind of weird, freaked out face that Luca hooked up Ruby. (laughs) It was really, really good. But, yeah, yeah, just the mm, episode as a whole, not that great. Yeah. Well, what wins your week in drama? Somebody stop me before I hug again. No, it's, it's Limitless when my week in drama. What uh, won your week in drama? I wish I could give it to Limitless, but I really liked the London Spy premiere. Sure. Uh, so that says just how much I like London Spy, because I loved that episode of Limitless. So, uh, yeah. Very spoiled there. Glad It was a bit of a two, two of one and two of the other this week, but... Uh, yeah. Was happy to with what we got with uh, with London Spy and Limitless. Um, now, a few show notes. You can find a post up for this episode over at theteleverse.org, the home for the podcast. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, like the page to start a conversation over there. You can find us on iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And you can also find my writing at the AV Club. You can find Noel's writing at tv.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at theteleverse. Noel, you are... At Twitter at uh, Noel RK. And what is our question of the week? Uh, since we're going to be talking about X-Files a little bit more next week, um, probably, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, let us know what your favorite X-File monster of the week was. Okay. Yeah, and you can think about that, too. I will. I will ponder that. It's hard for me, like, because, like, the monsters, as opposed to, like, characters, is a different distinction for me, so... Sure. I'll have to ponder that, and I will report back next week. Yeah. Uh, do you have a pick? Um, oddly, I think my favorite pick would probably be Burt Reynolds' God. Okay. <laughs> Very nice. Um, now we're going to take a break, and I'm going to come back with Les Chapel of the AV Club to talk about Strike Back. So I'll be right back after this. We are here pursuing the Pakistani terrorist Latif. As of now, we have nothing. What's this guy to do with me? John Porter. He was undercover in Pakistan looking for Latif. Latif found Porter instead. You were brought in to identify Latif. You want my help? I want cash. You'll get paid. More than you're worth. Could we be making a mistake? Oh, quite possibly. We go now. Yeah, but I'm driving. Your men are already dead. 
one nearly your best chance of getting everyone out alive. I'm not too taken out. Two. You? Three. <laughs> That's good. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik. And this week at the DVD shelf, happy to welcome back friend of the show, Les Chapel from the AV Club. Les, how's it going? Hello. It's going very well. This week, we're going to be talking about a, a series that uh, I discovered kind of half, partway through its run. Um, I went to the, the Comic-Con panel for it and was like, I should check out this show. The fan base is very passionate <laughs> and and i did and i was glad for the most part that i did and that is strike back um what is your relationship with the show uh this is a show that i came to i uh, i couldn't tell you exactly when i came to it i'm assuming i heard of this was around the time that i got my own got my full cable package and cinemax came with it and this was when cinemax was actually trying to get into its own original scripted programming that wasn't things like Passion Cove and After Hours Confessionals or Skinemax programming, essentially. And so I gave it a shot, and I was basically hooked from the start. This is a show that whenever it, whenever I had a new episode, I would literally just clap excitedly to myself and go, strike back, strike back, strike back! <laughs> well, it's a really, uh, it's a really energetic show, and we're, we're going to get into a lot of you know, what makes it work. Uh, the, you know, I have, I have a few issues with it, so maybe some of the stuff that is less successful, at least for me. But um, but when when you talk about Strike Back, you kind of have to talk about it as two different shows because the way that many of us know Strike Back as, is as, as a sort of a buddy soldier <laughs> show with Stonebridge and Scott, but it started with a completely different cast uh, and a bunch of British people that we all know from other things. So as I was watching the first season of the show um, to prepare for this DVD shelf, it was, oh, look, there's Francis Dollarhide and uh, and there's Rick Grimes, Rick Grimes uh, being very British. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it's, it's one of the like, oh, that's what they really sound like. That's what they really, oh, that's what's like when they get to use their own voices. I, I assume. And, it, and it, it's, sort of, it's sort of amusing because that original series of Strike Back, which was originally produced, that was originally produced in uh, 2010, but Cinemax only aired it on, they aired it on 2013 in Cinemax, like right after, I believe, uh, the, either the second or third season. And so they premiered it as Strike Back Origins. So they retroactively turned it into a prequel series. <laughs> it's like, guys, it doesn't matter what you 
call it it came it came first but um exactly and it was uh, i mean and the whole reason why they had to do it this way was because they'd originally had the idea that they wanted it to be the richard armitage focused series but then richard armitage had to leave to go do the hobbit so they had this property but they didn't have anyone they no longer had their leading man even though uh his john porter does appear for about five minutes in the pilot of strike back cinemax yeah so so in our because they do the spartacus thing where each season sort of has its own title so what you know as season one and i know as season two uh is project dawn (laughs) and that's the one that kills off richard armitage in the opening minutes of the premiere so that we can it can now be a different show because he's busy being thorn oakenshield um so so do you see much of a difference between, uh, for you, Strike Back Origins, for me, Series 1, uh, and the other rest of the show? Like, how do you feel like those two properties work in relation with each other? Well, it's interesting. I mean, the biggest difference between the two is obviously the way they reorient it uh, bec- with the fact that it goes from a one-person show to a two-person show. Like, Chris Ryan's Strike Back is very much the porter as lone wolf, troubled soldier, uh, dealing with some issues who's thrown into this who's thrown into this world. And while Andrew Lincoln is, again, the second lead, he's not, his character is more like his character is the superior officer slash potential antagonist, especially as the series goes on. So it's very much a, it's not a two-hander. Whereas uh, when you get into the Cinemax era strike back, which is just how I'll refer to it, it is very much a two-hander. So you have uh, Sullivan Stapleton playing sort of the Richard, sort of the John Porter role as the outsider brought into Section 20. And I mean, it's established that the reason he's brought in is because he and Porter know each, knew each other back in the day. So you have him as the outsider, but then you've also got Philip Winchester's Stonebridge as the company man, the willing, more willing to take orders, hardcore, uh, stone, cold, stone cold British SAS killer. And I think the second version of it works so much better than the first, even though there's a lot to recommend the first season. And for people who haven't, who may have watched the Ameri- may have watched the uh, Cinemax era and not seen the Strike Back Origins, I think Strike Back Origins is definitely worth watching, but not because it's as good, but because it's just sort of interesting to see this was their first idea for the show. And when they had to give up that idea, they wanted to try something else. Yeah, and I think it's smart to not try to be the same show with a different lead. I, I think that is a good call because there's certain threads that are going to just carry between your different, you know, Section 20 operatives just because they come from a similar background um, as far as the, these things go. You're, you're in the military and they have similar goals because there are heroes, so they're not in it for the money. Um, but to try to, you know, get the same... capture the same tone it just would have made the show feel disposable i think and instead they go well okay if we can't do the thing we're doing let's do something else and we'll try to do that just as well so i really enjoyed what i saw i didn't see the entire run unfortunately i kind of dipped in and out of the very seasons of so i liked what i saw of the first season and sort of what they were doing there which again felt in some ways very similar but in others rather different um i like the performances and i look forward to when i have some time should that ever happen? Hashtag PTV. Um, <laughs> I look forward to going back. And it's just nice to see Andrew Lincoln speak 
is is not American. Uh, <laughs> exactly. It's nice to see him just sort of, and it's also nice to see him. I think having a little bit more fun than he yeah. has to have than he gets to have as Rick on Walking Dead. And really, that's one of the that's actually that I mean that sort of gets to one of the core things about what I love about Strike Back: the fact that this is just a show that's a lot of fun. It's I mean when you look if you take a step back and. I know you'll, you might mention this a problem. This is a phenomenally stupid show in a lot of ways. Like there are so many things in this show that happen that should not logically happen that there's plenty of things where if characters were a little bit smarter, they wouldn't do these things. But you don't object to it because Strike Back just operates at this wonderful, straightforward intensity. Our friend uh, Miles McNutt, who reviewed the show over at the AV Club for its first couple seasons, uh, he quoted it best as this was a show that prefers momentum over modeling every time. Yeah, Miles came on to talk with us, uh, former co-host uh, Simon and myself, about Shadow Warfare uh, at the end of that season. And yeah, I, I mean, I think that is an important part of, you know, as he says, it's an important part of, of what this show is. And it, I mean, when you look at the the way that superhero and action TV has kind of taken over a corner of the television landscape in a way that was not the case, uh, with the exception of something like Hercules and Xena, for a long time on American TV. Like, there were, you know, you had your A-teams, you had, there's plenty of shows in that vein in the history of television, but it had kind of gone out of popularity. A show like Strike Back is, you know, when you compare it to shield or arrow or some of these other shows there are very very few out there that hold a candle to what they do on this show what the the stunts the action the intensity the energy of it it's it's exhilarating a lot of the time if you are a person who enjoys action you are going to really enjoy this show i mean it really comes down to Strike Back and something like Spartacus. If you want to contend with Strike Back on on stunts and on action and on energy like that, you really have to go to at least for me to a show like Spartacus to even get close. Yeah, I mean for for me, I would uh, draw the comparison to Banshee, which mm-hmm. is of course, yeah. which was of course the fo- the follow up. Well, not follow up, but that was uh, the late the next original programming that they did after Strike Back. And while and I mean the stunts on that one are much more close. It's much more close quarters brutality. Even though in season three they really pushed a lot of those limits, but there's no te- there's no question that what Strike Back does and just the sheer level of commitment they have and the sheer inventiveness they have. That was definitely the template that Banshee was looking at when it started. And I think other shows that Cinemax is working on, like uh, Greg Gitane's Quarry, are certainly going to take some cues from it as well, even though they're fr- even though they're very different shows. Because Strike Back is, I mean, Strike Back is an action. The way I always describe it is you could describe one season as like, yes, this is 10 episodes. But I always look at it more as this is five action movies with a cohesive villain and one plot tying them all together. Which is why you've talked about dropping in and out on the show. I think this is an easy show to drop in or out on because while you're certainly, it certainly benefits you to watch the entire thing in order. You can drop in on two episodes, and while they'll leave, there may be some questions unanswered or some to be continued moments. You get what I would consider a cohesive, a cohesive story and a rewarding experience out of it. Yeah, I mean, this is a show that likes it's twists and turns, but it also is very episodic. In, in approach because they have a 10 episode season yes but most at least from the episodes i saw and i've seen 
the entire entirety of season four, most of season five. I think I've seen all but one episode of season five or the, the final season, however you want to call it. Uh, have you seen the finale? Yes, I've seen the finale. Um, but and then I've dropped in and out of the other seasons. But um, they, they're very piecemeal in there's it's, it's like it's like the quest approach like that they're failing to get started over on Shannara Chronicles right now where it's like this piece of intel takes us to this location we're going to do some investigations there's going to be a probably a, a, a concern of the week or the two weeks maybe and then that's going to give the next breadcrumb to take us to the next location to take us you know bad guy we're hunting for keeps you know they almost get him and then he escapes and they he goes somewhere else and they have to find him again um so that allows for a very episodic structure uh which for me is a good thing i enjoy a procedural i enjoy uh, a quest narrative so you know i think that really works and while it especially the long form films villains some of the performances that are happening with especially with some of the supporting characters are really uh the, it benefits you to watch in order and to really see the way that that has progressed over a season. Um, for the most part, if you just want to have a fun, exciting action hour of TV, you, you're not going to do, you're not going to go wrong just kind of jumping in with an episode of Strike Back. I should also say just because I will feel like a bad Sparty fan if I don't. Um, I, I Spartacus, I love Spartacus way more than Strike Back. I really like Strike Back. Spartacus is one of my favorite shows of all time. This does not approach that. However, what this show is most interested in doing, it does very well. And I would say that's the stunts and that's the action, that's the intensity. And it's also its commitment to portrayals of a certain type of soldier. Um, the, the, there's an interest on behalf of the, on the cast and the production to get certain things right. Um, I, the consequences in the long term impacts of what they do does not seem to be one of those things. But even just <laughs> the but the physicality of it and, you know, the the approach to like the personality and the approach to going into a room even and always be always being scanning and things like that. Um Exactly. Like this is not the sort of uh the sort of spies that they have on this show, it I it's a very comfort it's a comforting mold. Like these guys are not I mean, they're not like the expendables, like just a big dumb brute force of various uh, archetypes storming in, nor is it like the super suave James Bond no. quit caliber, film, caliber spy. Like these guys are honestly, there's a very workmanlike approach to how these guys go about their job. And one of the things I really appreciate about the show is that while they, I mean, these guys continue to shrug off wounds that would leave other people in the hospital for weeks or months, it never shies away from really getting into like the toll that this sort of life takes on them and their sort of uh, thoughts here and there about, well, what the hell would we do if we could do this? We can't sing or dance. Mm -hmm. And I, so I think it's a, while the show never tries to say, okay, yes, they should probably stop doing this. It, it doesn't, it also doesn't say they can do this forever. Like these guys aren't invincible. And I think uh, Stonebridge in particular, the various arcs that go on in the early seasons with uh, the death of his wife and his sort of grief and rebuilding process. And also with uh, Scott in later seasons, when he looks back at some of his old uh, CIA contract work and his revelation that he has a son, there are things that they don't, there are, they don't, they humanize these guys not to a degree where like they're they become vulnerable but to a degree where you get where they're coming from yeah and and they feel like individuals which is important because they fit the mold of the action hero like 
archetype, but they also do have a very specific rapport that allows you to just, just kind of sit back and, and know each character well enough to know how what one character says will affect the other and enjoy that knowledge, you know, you, understanding that connection between these two leads, uh, which then lets you really enjoy the rapport between the two of them and between the two actors, too. I mean, they they got... They were very. I shouldn't say they got lucky. They did a very good job casting the show when exactly, exactly with with those two. And that's why it's honestly. I mean, that's one of the frustrating things about why I basically stopped watching Blind Spot beyond Blind Spot being in its own way an even stupider show than Strike Back was the fact that it doesn't let Sullivan Stapleton have any sort of fun or witty banter. He's just very gruff and serious and conflicted on that show. Whereas here, he's got a lot of swagger to him. And I didn't see enough of the player, but I feel like they could have done more with Philip Winch. Like those guys, these guys worked really well as a unit, as a unit, like a team. And especially as the, as the series and as the series went on and these guys just kept getting into more and more impossible situations, you could see the, the character camaraderie tightened up even more than it had because these were two guys who like these guys they'd been through they'd been through hell together and they knew that the other guy swagger and just snarking aside always had the other's back yeah absolutely and i would yeah so i would uh, you talked about the casting of it i really w- i would like to get into that as well because this was strike strike back what had was phenomenally well cast in terms of both those guys but also the supporting players and the villains in particular this was a show uh going back to spartacus i have to ask did you notice the spartacus actor in the final season one of the two mercenaries that uh that basically stonebridge and scott run afoul of throughout the final season uh dustin oh yes yes i did i did notice uh uh um gannicus yes and i it took me a while to place him because of the the Cajun accent they have him doing. But oh, yes, yeah, it, oh yeah, the accent work in some cases is laughable. But one of the things I loved about the show was it it did what uh, Miles called raiding the Seven Kingdoms. That there's were a lot of Game of Thrones actors who'd pop up in various points that would always make you so happy to see them. Like in the first season, you had a. Uh, Ian Glenn as an arms dealer, Leon Cunningham as a mercenary. The last season had uh, Michael McAton, Bruce Bolton as a bomb maker. And the second season, well, the second Cinemax season, which I will actually say is probably my favorite, uh, you have Charles Dance as the big bad of the season, as a South Africa, as basically just a South African philanthropist with dreams of controlling the country. And these guys, I mean, all these guys, like, they're not going back to the James Bond comparison, they're not Bond villains. Like, much like you understand where Scott and Stonebridge are coming from, the really characterful villains, you understand. I mean, there's plenty There's plenty of generic, lute- generic lieutenants who are there solely to be the bastards that you know you're just going to really cheer for when Scott and Stonebridge take them out. But the big bads, you, you, I mean, you don't really empathize with them, but like the main cast, you understand what their motivations are. Absolutely. I mean, and this is, it's a deep bench too, because pretty much every person they bring in to be a, a prominent figure for a while on the show is somebody that fans of, of TV and film will know. So like in the last season, they bring in Michelle Yeoh, 
to be their big bad. Oh, That's God. she she was amazing in the final season. So good. And even like a character, you know, that is only in a few episodes but is incredibly memorable is the character that uh, Degree Scott plays in the fourth season. I mean, like the various people that they're bringing in to, for these recurring roles, they do a really good job. They, they are well cast and they're they're good actors, but they're also well cast. They're used very well and very effectively and because there's a lot of people if you're again if you're a fan of tv if you're a fan of film you're going to recognize these actors you're surprised when they then get killed off after only a few episodes i know yeah you're so i mean you're surprised and almost a little disappointed because yeah. these guys i mean again some of these people are characters who have multiple seasons worth of work on game of thrones and you really like you get into davos and sir jorah and they're like hey it's sir jorah oh sir jorah is dead yeah. If you're not a Stonebridge and Scott, or for a long run at least, uh, Robson Green, you're, you're, you're not going to be around for very long on this show. <laughs> no, that's true. And that, I think, is another... We were talking earlier about the momentum of the show. I think that that's a really... Uh, one of the reasons why the show continued to succeed was because, again, people... Dot, they While Stonebridge and Scott, you could pretty much guarantee those guys were going to walk out of stuff... Section 20 took a lot of body blows over the year, over the years, just people, uh, members of the team would die out in the middle of seasons and they would have to deal with that. Uh, members, the team would be every, every season essentially be different. You'd have new people who had been sort of tangentially involved with section 20. I'm thinking of um, Milana Jemai Jackson's character from previous seasons. You'd have uh, Rona Mitra show up to, take over for uh amanda mealing's character it would it, they had a they kept the they made you aware of both they simultaneously used that to make you aware of basically the toils of this life but also to just continually refresh the bench so you had new people for scott and stonebridge to bounce off of and new people who would maybe have a different way of salt of approaching a situation than the previous supporting players had yeah it's just and and by being willing to change up the cast and often but not always ending with that character dying like there's a, there's a new boss just about every season and that allows you know you to have the your core characters but then to just keep things a little bit more fresh and i think that that is important i also like you know the few characters who do get to ride off into the sunset it's when they do then it's uh, something you can appreciate as well because you know a lot of other people didn't exactly uh, let's talk a little bit about rona mitra because i think she's really good here i've seen her be underwhelming in other things uh but i was really impressed with her in this no rona mitra is of the i think of the various bosses of section 20 rona mitra would i think no i think i might have to get i'd give the edge for favorite boss to uh robson green as philip Locke, but no rona mitra is uh, amazing here i mean she's certain i mean she's not doing as wonderful work as she does on the last ship or underworld rise of the lichens <laughs> or yeah. doomsday or i'm or i'm sorry i'm just looking at her wikipedia page and there's yeah i would agree this is definitely the most i've liked her and I mean, that's, that sort of factors into something I also liked about Strike Back. I mean, this is a show that could be all about raw testosterone, machismo, and the like. This show knew how to bring in women who kick ass. I mean, we talked about Michelle Yeoh. We ta I mentioned Milan Jemai Jackson. Uh, let's see, who was there? Uh, Michelle Luke says Richmond uh, in the first few seasons. But yeah, Rona Mitra out of those was she kicked a lot of ass and I appreciate that. And I also appreciate that these, they were these characters who could push back and basically be like, yeah, 
and just get them looks like, yeah, I see what you guys are doing. Just go get it done. Yeah. Um, having the, the international flavor of the, the cast and I mean, it's a very British show. Yes. But the different people that they kind of bring in to be support or to, uh, you know, be their, their colleagues like on the ground, other people that they've worked with who come in for an episode here and there, I think also help, help change up the dynamic a little bit. I enjoy how British like the first season is or, or origins as compared to, you know, having the, the central duo. Strike Back is, I mentioned it's an action movie, but it's also, it, it's a show that's in the B, it's in the B movie category and it mm-hmm. knows that that's what it is. Like Strike Back has no pretensions about what it is and about the sort of messages it's trying to get across. Yeah. Well, and again, it's, it knows what kind of show it wants to be and it then is going to be the best version of that that it can be. Absolutely. The the comment I always would hear uh, heard Alan Seppenwall of Hit Fix apply to it was this is a show that is far better than it has any right to be. <laughs> well, and I feel like one of the other things we can't get out of this segment without mentioning is the location shooting and just how gorgeous this show looks. Amazing. Yeah, this is a sh- uh, this is one hundred percent a show that's not set on a sound uh, that's not shot on a soundstage. And the fact, I, I mean, the the whole conceit of it that these got these are two guys who go where the action takes them and who are pursuing terrorists who have potentially world spanning goals means these guys are all over the place. They're bit like they're in a they're in a Bangkok river town. They're in a Russian prison. They're trying. They're in London trying to track somebody down. It, they can go all over the place, and they really. I don't know how much of this is actually the locations and how much they're just basically using areas in uh, uh, South Africa, Hungary, and Thailand are the locations that Wikipedia credits the, se- the seasons at. But they they use what they have and they m- make you believe legitimately that it is the place it is. Well, and it just because there isn't another show that does that to compare it to, it just really makes it stand out all the more. So when you're watching, I mean, I actually think the stunts on Arrow tend to be really good, but you're watching, I mean, and they've improved on S.H.I.E.L.D., but let's let's make S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. the scapegoat. There's a bit, yeah, there's a, there's a big difference between trying to do things like this on a network, on a network TV budget, and being able to do this on the on the Cinemax Sky joint budget. Well, and when you look at... a Remember the in the first season of Shield when they like would go to Peru? Like, there was uh, gonna be we, we, oh my god! Also, you could put giant air quotes around Peru. Oh, that was real. As someone who has a Peruvian as a brother-in-law, that was a particularly egregious episode oh. for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, this yeah. Is- yeah, I love that. Like, there's no, there's no CGI in this show, or if it's CGI, it's you can't really notice it. But it's bare, it's bare bones fire, uh, firefights, explosions. They don't try to, they don't try to exact. I mean, it's the exaggerated, heightened reality, but they don't try to heighten it past well. Reality. Explosions. That's the trouble because they're very heightened explosions, but they actually do explode stuff and then watch it. And then film it. And occasionally walk away from it taking off sunglasses. Of course, because that's the kind of show that this is. And don't (laughs) we all want to watch some of that every now and again? Like, I don't, that's not your entire, you know, television diet. But come on. We all love an explosion that the person is too cool to notice themselves uh, because they're they're walking away from it slow-mo. 
but yeah, the, the the what they get from their location shooting and the way that they use it, like you say, to you know stand in for different places around the world, is they get an authenticity and a tactile uh, element that is sorely lacking from most of the action adventure kind of shows that are on TV right now. The fights feel much more visceral. The when they're hopping between locations every few episodes, you still feel like they're actually in a place, um, and that they're interacting with an actual world and so when they're blowing everything up it feels like they're actually leaving a wake of destruction behind them (laughs) as they flee whoever did the location scout shooting for this move uh, for this show i commend them for both finding places to shoot and finding places where people didn't mind if everything got blown up uh because because damn they exploded a lot of stuff everything everything blows up in this show everything yeah and I'm, I'm okay with that like i said i love i love an action movie and i love uh i love a energetic enthusiastic exhilarating explosion as much as the next uh action fan out there and on, on even just on that rubric the show delivers but for me again if it even if it had all of that if it didn't have the performances that center it, if it didn't have uh, Sullivan Stapleton and Philip Winchester. Can we talk about for a moment how the, their actual, the actor's actual names sound more like characters than I, uh, yeah. I know that that's what I love. Like you just look at the cast for the show and you just read them. Ooh, uh, Philip Winchester, Sullivan Stapleton, Rona Mitra, Liam Cunningworth, Charles Dance, Zubin Varla. Uh, yeah. uh, this show, even Richard Armitage, that like mm-hmm. everything, uh, everyone on this show just sounds like they need to be on this show. Pretty much, uh, and yeah, yeah, it's 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 that writing for those leads. It's how well the actors know the characters, as well as the show knows the characters and knows the voice of of the show, the tone and the voice of the show that I think makes it so much fun and so you know such a, an engaging series and really makes it stand out in a cluttered at this point field of action uh procedurals or action uh, action series yeah absolutely and i mean again we talked like the leads of this show are cur- i mean well winchester was on the player but the player got canceled and i so badly wanted blind spot to just say screw it let's just cast him too mm-hmm. but sadly that wouldn't be the case but yeah. this show yeah there's a lot of I don't. I don't know. I honestly know how much influence this show has on other shows outside Cinemax. I mean, I've talked about how this is very clearly uh, in the Cinemax DNA of this. These were the. This was the show that they basically were like, okay, they people know Cinemax. This is a show. This is a station where people come to watch their softcore porn and their action movie reruns. And okay, so let's give them a show that looks like that has softcore porn and action movie elements. And then that's our gateway drug. So yeah, okay, you'll go from that. You'll watch a show about a guy pretending to be a, a about an ex-con pretending to be a sheriff, or you'll watch a Steven Soderbergh a period piece drama about a hospital. Mm-hmm. This is very this this set right back, and I can see uh, I can see why Cinemax wanted to pick up this show in the first place. And even though regretfully, I can also see why why they chose to end their relationship with the show because this was. Uh, I mean, it was produced by Sky Television, by Sky One in the UK, and was a joint uh, joint production between them for its run. So, but uh, Cinemax just, as it evolved, got to the point where it wanted programming that it owned itself, and so Strike Back had to ride off into the distance with a big grin on its face. And I also think it didn't. I don't know how much more 
they could have done with it without starting to retread absolutely ideas so i felt like it was time exactly i mean you look at the seasons you had uh you had, a, you had a Pakistani terrorist getting weapons of mass destruction. You had a South African billionaire trying to uh, take over the continent. You had uh, you had an elusive terrorist trying to unleash smallpox, and you had and then you had a North Korean terrorist trying to uh, basically enforce her country's will. There was a lot. There really wasn't too much more that I think they could have done feasibly with the show, even though I would have been perfectly happy to watch two or three or even four more seasons of these guys just running around blowing shit up. And wisecracking along the way. Uh, it, it would be remiss of me to not mention that I do have a significant problem with the show's relationship with torture and how it is always effective and uh, always justified and always tends to, uh, from a macro level, end well for the show. And uh, I really have a problem with that. But this is not a show that was going to explore that. Uh, so I just tried to, when I'm watching it, erase the, those bits from my brain, sort of like with 24, uh, personally. Do you have any trouble with that? Uh, no, I don't think I have a, I don't think I have a problem with it per se. I mean, obviously it's, it's not, it's not a great use of tor of torture for the, like they could probably be doing something more new, more nuanced with it, but it's also, I think I'm okay with it because it doesn't tilt too much in the opposite direction. Like it's not torture porn. Like this isn't like, uh, I don't know, Game of Thrones where you sometimes get the feeling they really, really enjoy watching what happens to Theon Greyjoy or Sansa Stark. I don't think that there's, you never get the feeling that anyone on this show wants to, is in, is reveling in what's happening to Stonebridge or Scott or anyone else in section 20, even in some of the more, heartrending uh, uh like the more painful seasons of that where one of their member members is executed outside a south african prison it's i, I i'm a, it feels right i don't know if right is the correct word for it but it feels appropriate for the tone of the show the way that it uses it would i like it to be smarter yes but i'm i don't feel they should be obligated to be smarter about it agree to disagree i don't think they need to have our heroes torturing people because they they're willing to do what what it takes man oh oh um, okay okay maybe i should actually backtrack then i, I was talking more about just the heroes being tortured as opposed no no, to no. my problem is the heroes torturing people which they do a lot yeah that yeah that's not great yeah okay but, that makes yeah, more but, sense but, yeah that's not great but i think i'll uh, it's it doesn't it it happens infrequently enough I, at least i feel like these guys will more just shoot people instead yeah there's a lot of shooting people that's very true but despite that significant issue that i do have with the show on the whole i do still very much enjoy it uh and i think it gets a lot more right than it gets wrong for some people that would be a deal breaker and i completely understand that for me apparently it is not um and i feel bad that it's not but apparently it isn't um and <laughs> i think on the whole for me the charms outweigh the the issues i have with 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 the show so uh it was fun to go back into this world a little bit and, and relive some of the again i just keep going back to energy because that's what the show is it's a ride it's an uh, it, it, <laughs> 
absolutely. Like I, I said at the like I said at the top of this uh, segment, there every time I had a new episode of Strike Back to watch, I would clap excitedly. And this was also a show that I did a review of it for the AV Club. Normally, I try to pace out the pace in which I watch the episodes just to sort of get my thoughts in order. This one, I watched all. I had four episodes. I watched all four straight through, and I would have probably watched all six or I probably would watch the entire season over a weekend if they'd make it if they'd made it available to me this was just a show that uh and I rewatched a few episodes to be ready for this and it holds up pretty it holds up well on rewatches even if you know the various salient beats of it you just find yourself even more impressed by the technical artistry of what they're putting together and just watching Scott and Stonebridge crack and wise together and dealing with each other in a firefight it 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 does not get old. This was, a, again, this was a show that may not have had the most broad base of what it was doing, but it knew what it wanted to do, and it executed that really well. And and a net landscape where there's a lot of shows that try to be more than they actually are, I find that very refreshing. Yes. Uh, and I think that's a great note to, to end on. And I look forward to our listeners running in with their favorite seasons and favorite one-liners and, and characters and all of that. But unfortunately, we are out of time. So, Les, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Oh, well, you can find my work at the AV Club, avclub.com. Um, my coverage of both Grimm and Portlandia is returning after their, hi- after their hiatuses. So check that out. And you can follow me on Twitter at lesismore909. And that's the letter O. That's correct. Thank you again once more or less for coming on. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening. And I'll be back next week with Noel for another episode of The Televerse. 